Today on the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast, we're talking about 45 on 16. Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. My name is Jeremy. With me this evening are Rail Splitter Mary. Hey, Rail Splitters. And Rail Splitter Nick. Hello, people listening to us on devices. So, welcome to another episode where I believe, knock on wood, we have the technology correct. And we will be back at you weekly, hopefully from the from now on, now through the foreseeable future. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode that we posted a couple days ago on the Lincoln Memorial. And today's topic is talking about what the current president says and does in relation to our favorite president, Abraham Lincoln. So we're titling this one 45 on 16, talking about the 45th president and what he has said recently about the 16th president and what our thoughts on that are. So this episode might create a couple different of opinions and whatnot. So please share with us if you uh, what your thoughts on this or any episode are on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and of course, we don't mean to tick anybody off, but uh, I always say if we didn't have political beliefs, we probably would be less human it is as much a part of our belief system as anything else, and it's uh, kind of silly to hold them back because I think it makes us who we are. And uh, I don't believe you can have a conversation about the Civil War or any president in history without bringing in politics. I think that would be an incomplete conversation, and we've talked about this many times on the show. So hopefully y'all are into it and will enjoy this conversation about how presidents view each other in history mention each other, talk about each other, and all of those kinds of things. But before we get started, I realized when we took our little break in between recording episodes that we forgot to talk about Rail Splitter Book Club Part 2, or Version 2, where we had so many of you take the time to vote. And by the way, Election Day is November 6th. Don't forget to vote Tuesday. Much like many of you voted in our far less important election in rail splitter nation for the rail splitter book club next phase phase 2 2.0 the winner of the rail splitter book club election for the second time around is lincoln's greatest speech by ronald white about the second inaugural so we look forward to having quite a lot of conversation about it Next week we will kind of we will let you know when we will do our first installment of the Rail Splitter Book Club for that book, and how many pages uh, or how many chapters you should read if you want to participate. Of course, you like every book club, you don't have to read to be a part of it, um, but it might help. Now, there are quite a lot of discussion ideas that I foresee about this book. I have not yet started reading it, Mary. I know you have. Uh, of course, the biggest question um, will be, with a title that bold, was the second inaugural Lincoln's greatest speech? I'm guessing that's going to be a thesis of the book, 
but there's a little speech in Gettysburg that of course everybody may contend was his was actually his greatest speech. So that's one thing I'm looking forward to to determine what about the second inaugural, at least from Ronald's White perspective, makes it Lincoln's greatest speech as opposed to the Gettysburg Address. Uh, Mary or Nick, any thoughts on our recent rail splitter election? I will not be reading it. I am boycotting this. I am everybody's favorite rail splitter, and I did not win this vote. It is rigged election. I want to demand a recount. I am extremely disappointed in all of you rail splitters. I just I didn't rally the base. You know what? I, I you know I talked myself through this. This is my fault for not rallying my base to come out to the polls and vote for this. I say this. Don't make the same mistake come Tuesday. My 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 base go up there and cast that ballot. I guess I'll read it. I'm just I'm just really hurt. That's all. It was a competition in my eyes. And just for the record, it's not the best speech. All right. At least you lo- you lost to a Canadian. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry for that. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I'm just you know what? I'm going to boycott. I'm going to actually read uh Fillmore's speech instead. So, actually I would never do that. So, that would be god awful. <laughs> No, thank you to all those who voted. All the books I thought were were great choices, um, and I hope we all we get to read all of them at some point on the show. And um, I'm I'm Canadian, so obviously I will not be voting on Tuesday. But um, to all of our American listeners, please go out and vote. It is very important that you do so. Um, and as Jeremy said, yes, I have started reading the book and. Um, I can tell you so far it's very good. Um, so I would encourage all of our real splitters to read along with us. Mary, if you get to Chicago, I hear you can vote early and often. So. <laughs> Ooh. That is, uh, that is the legend of uh, Chicago politics. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, definitely uh, vote on Tuesday. We will be uh, paying attention to the elections, of course, very closely, uh, especially the, uh, the nail biters in uh hopefully in Texas and in Georgia and the governor election. Um, and there's a couple others for sure. And then, of course, in uh, in our home state, Nick and I's home state of Illinois, we have a governor's race uh, that we're taking a look at and a couple house races as well. So it will be interesting to see how that all plays out uh, in the midterm elections. Uh, but today we are also talking politics uh, and um, our, the current president has been quite active in uh, campaigning in those elections and has been um, kind of doing his uh, so-called Make America Great Again rallies throughout the uh, country. And uh, there was one rally from a few, I was probably uh, maybe 10 or so days ago, maybe a little bit longer, um, by the time this posts in Ohio, where the president um, kind of gave, in his view, a little bit of a history lesson. Uh, so I'm actually going to play that for you, play a couple minutes of that speech, and then we're going to talk about it, where um, uh, president, the current president is in Ohio giving the speech uh, not that long ago, and he mentions Abraham Lincoln, so it definitely fits into our topic for this evening. So take a listen. Many of you may have heard this, but uh, just so you know what we're talking about, take a listen here. Ohio is the state that gave us 
a great president who hasn't been properly recognized, okay? William McKinley has not been properly recognized. What he did in terms of trade, in terms of war, but in terms of trade, and I hate to say it, in terms of being smart and tariffs, William McKinley has not been properly recognized, but maybe someday he will. It also gave you a general who was incredible. He drank a little bit too much. You know who I'm talking about, right? So Robert E. Lee was a great general. And Abraham Lincoln developed a phobia. He couldn't beat Robert E. Lee. He was going crazy. I don't know if you know this story. But Robert E. Lee was winning battle after battle after battle. And Abraham Lincoln came home. He said, I can't beat Robert E. Lee. And he had all of these generals. They looked great. They were the top of their class at West Point. They were the greatest people. There's only one problem. They didn't know how to hell to win. They didn't know how to fight. They didn't know how. And one day, it was looking really bad. And Lincoln just said, you hardly knew his name. And they said, don't take him. He's got a drinking problem. And Lincoln said, I don't care what problem he has. You guys aren't winning. And his name was Grant, General Grant. And he went in and he knocked the hell out of everyone. And you know the story. They said to Lincoln, you can't use him anymore. He's an alcoholic. And Lincoln said, I don't care if he's an alcoholic. Frankly, give me six or seven more just like him. He started to win. Grant really did. He had a serious problem, a serious drinking problem. But man, was he a good general. And he's finally being recognized as a great general. But Lincoln had almost developed a phobia because he was having a hard time with a true great fighter and a great general, Robert E. Lee. But Grant figured it out. And Grant is a great general. And Grant came from right here. Ulysses S. Grant. Okay, so thank you for uh, listening to that. Uh, and just so you know, when I play audio like that, Nick and Mary can't hear just the way the technology set up, so they had to sit in silence for those three minutes, which was actually probably more pleasant um, than listening to um, that. So, uh, of course, the start of that little speech was about William McKinley and how he was how he's not recognized because he was so great in tariffs, as the current president says. Um, it, it to me, uh, and it's you know, I, perhaps I'm being a little too harsh, but it feels like he um, read two paragraphs of Wikipedia article uh, articles on McKinley, Grant, and Lincoln, and then decided he was gonna he was a PhD in history. But um, he says, you know, McKinley doesn't get uh, his the proper respect for being so great in tariffs, which is just absurd. Um, but anyway, the tariff issue is a, is a little bit less related to us as a Lincoln podcast. Um, so his assessment of the Civil War was that Robert E. Lee was a great general that uh, Lincoln had a phobia of and couldn't beat him, couldn't figure it out. 
uh, and that um, he had all these guys who were the top of their class and couldn't beat them. And then he said, you. And then in the president's words, he barely knew his name. And he said, you. And everybody said, whoever everybody is, everybody said, don't hire him. He's a, he's a, he drinks too much. Uh, but Lincoln hired him anyway to be the general. And then apparently we couldn't stop winning after that. And Lincoln had almost developed a phobia of Lee. And we, you know, um, but then we started winning and we couldn't stop winning. Um, and then um, no one ever recognized Grant for that until recently. That is, um, you know, if a seventh grader was giving a report on the Civil War, I'd maybe give it a C, C minus, maybe. Um, but man, that is not a real accurate depiction of really anything. Um, and it's just really, you know, he's talking to people from Ohio, so he like, I feel like he Googled, like, he Googled famous people from Ohio and was like, oh, Grant was born in Ohio. Let me tell this load of crap about Lincoln being afraid of Lee, who he could not stop calling a great general. Um, and then he makes up this story that's not true. Uh, Grant, well, one, people didn't, there was no such thing as an alcoholic then. I mean, there certainly was alcohol addiction, but... It didn't have a name. It wasn't, you know, you know. I'm sure people were called drunks or whatever. But I think Grant's drinking is vastly overrated. Uh, his comment that no one recognized Grant's greatness until now, and like he's like he was the one who brought it, brought it up. Like let's not forget that Grant was the most popular person in the country. Was overwhelmingly elected to be president with no political experience, um, and really no, no experience whatsoever other outside of his military experience was elected for a second term, probably would have been elected for a third consecutive term. Um, if he had declared right away and ran, you know, ran a traditional campaign, um, wrote memoirs as he was dying and they became instant bestsellers. He was an extremely popular figure, um, in the North, especially, um, and has been on the $50 bill <laughs> forever and is widely regarded and sometimes maybe even over-regarded as the figure for the North in the Civil War. Um, so much so that many people forget who George Meade was, um, especially with, with regard to Lincoln couldn't beat Lee, Lee just kept beating him, no one could beat Lee, completely ignoring the fact that Many people beat Lee. Lee was not, it's like he had this undefeated record, and he just lost an extremely important battle in Gettysburg where Grant was nowhere near. And then there's a little piece about he barely knew his name. Grant was extremely successful in the West. Everybody knew his name because he was so successful in the West, and he was the clear choice after firing Meade. He was the clear choice to take over. The only reason anyone would not have hired him to be the next general of the Army of the Potomac was because you lose him then in the West. He was very successful in the West. He had just taken Vicksburg. Um, he had done a great job at Shiloh, Fort Donelson, all, you know, very successful in the West. It is a risk to remove somebody from a theater of war where they're very successful in and hope that they're also then successful in, um, you know, in the out East. Um, and he really wasn't as successful, certainly wasn't as successful as the president kind of painted him to be. Um, he definitely, um, his military, I believe most, much of his military genius was understanding what the war was and understanding how it was going to be won. 
and outlastingly more than defeating Lee because he did you know he definitely defeated Lee here and there but um, overall he knew that if he had just outlasted him he would win and that's what he did to his credit I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that um, but it wasn't as if no one could beat Lee Grant figured out how to beat Lee war ended um, anyway what are your thoughts uh, on that on that little speech um, and the whole Lincoln Grant relationship there is just so much going on in that. And I think the reason why he went so quickly that he was an alcoholic is because um, the most recent grant file the, by Ron Chernow, which I haven't read yet, and I've, I've heard great things about it, but I've also heard that it does focus a lot on Grant's drinking. And he brings it um, into play more than other biographies do. And so if you do a search on grant that is going to come up as one of those things you think okay is this something that he found on google and that's why he's saying it because it's what the current trend is with general grant is like oh he's an alcoholic but he still won the civil war and as you said jeremy like um as you were talking i kind of started thinking you know it's like yeah he's just basically he's singling out grant but there was so much more to it you know he's making the civil war out to be just like oh, we just couldn't defeat General Lee, so we bring in Grant, it's magically won. It's like, well, there was, I mean, Grant was amazing in what he did, um, but there was other men too that were involved in that victory, you know, in the victory. And yeah, it wasn't about defeating him. It was about just, you know, he, you know, the men were starving and, and all that, but there was, you know, there was Sherman in the West and there was also Sheridan helping out. And it's not as cut and dry is what trump makes it out to be i think stephen miller went back to his ap u.s history notes and he's like oh yeah you know there's another chance for everybody to show i can show everybody how smart i am and you know he's got one of those kids who doesn't really always listen and took the notes down wrong he goes yeah hey, yeah we'll put this in the speech i'll show my ap u.s history teacher for giving me a c and then he put this in there, and it was wrong because Stephen Miller is, for lack of other terms, a freaking idiot. Um, so then he read it off the prompter um, or thought he was smart because he thinks Stephen Miller is smart for some reason. Uh, that That's what I think happened. So, Stephen Miller, I'm glad you got a two on your AP U.S. history <laughs> test. But and then you know it's and then this is at a political rally and this is part of. I mean I can't imagine just the way that that was read that much of that was scripted or coming up on the teleprompter or whatever. But I like know. like you could almost feel like the crowd being like what you know like and they're his yeah. supporters and they're cheering you know I mean they're cheering at the cheer lines and when he pauses, but like people know like I gotta think that people who were there and who are supporting him know that that's not true. Like you're just, you, you know, like, and, and that's, it's easy for me to sit where I am being someone who didn't vote for the president, who doesn't support the president, who disagrees with all his policies to point out how stupid his interpretation of history is, how in, uninformed, misinformed, deliberately wrong, 
that is. Like, it's easy for me to do that. And I'll be honest, I kind of get a kick out of it sometimes. And sometimes it's, like, for me, like, ultimately, this does matter. But it doesn't matter nearly as much as what the impact the, the most devastating policies, in my opinion, have on folks. Um, specifically children with regard to health care and um, internment camps for people who are coming across the border. So, like, I don't want to get into that, but I do think that this is worth talking about because I do think it is dangerous when you have current leaders talking about history incorrectly. I think not, not, with, not with an interpretation that's, like, contrary to the status quo, that's informed, like, he's... I believe he's, you know, this is an example of how he deliberately misrepresents history. That is very, very dangerous for a leader of a country to do because I believe that those are the first steps or among the first steps toward trying to rewrite history in a way that influences politics at best and at worst. It rewrites history so that people become afraid of change and they and, and increases the power of a sitting president dictators have done this for centuries they have tried to rewrite history or have rewritten history with like either the literal burning of books or the spreading of ideas to demonize people that are different and to raise up people who are similar to create this nationalist idea and it can be dangerous so this is not him just speaking off the cuff even if it is it is still dangerous of him just speaking about this because you're trying to rewrite history in a way that makes you your policies look better and and i believe that is extremely dangerous and it's something that we need to talk about i think you're underestimating uh the impact of the lost cause because i i feel that if you pulled the majority of americans who is the greatest civil war general hands down robert e lee would win that mm-hmm. poll That's, i honestly believe that i um, yeah i think so too I, and i don't know if there's polling data out there to even support that already um uh, but the lost cause has had such an impact and part of the narrative of the lost cause is that Lee was the second coming. Um, he was the greatest Civil War general, and that Grant was a drunk. I mean, that is just part of the lost cause narrative that has had a huge impact on America to the point where people fly like a Confederate flag without any historical understanding of the roots and foundation of that and truly believe that it is a Southern pride thing. And have no idea the history behind it. I mean, they don't. And, and this is just, and, and I think Stephen Miller does this a lot with immigration stuff. He will find these fake, false narratives in history that a large chunk of people have believed to rally up their base to do that. And we're seeing it right now with the use of the 14th Amendment, which was created by radical Republicans um, who would be absolutely, they're rolling over in their grave to hear the interpretation of the current 14th Amendment, uh, especially when it comes to birthright citizenship in this country and how he's literally trying to rewrite that. And there are people going on talk shows saying that it did not mean, um, you know, that it did not apply to uh, immigrants in these scenarios. First of all, we had a Supreme Court case that already decided this in like the 1890s with a Chinese restaurant worker um, you know, who fought for the citizenship. So, I mean, this is just on par of the course. I mean, we shouldn't be flabbergasted. We shouldn't be shocked. It is who he is. We need to stop accepting that it's anything else. Um, it's just the way it's going to be. I mean, until he's out of there, 
Um, God, I hope it's 2020. Um, but who the hell knows? Yeah, and I definitely want to spend some time talking about the 14th Amendment. That was kind of definitely something that I believe also applies to Lincoln. So that'll be chapter two of tonight's episode. Um, but yeah, I agree. And and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that Robert E. Lee, even if you say he was the greatest Civil War general, I don't think that in and of itself is wrong. Um, but you have to accept that he was fighting for the enslavement of human beings. Um, I don't but, think he's the greatest general. He made one of the stupidest decisions of the entire Civil War. Mm-hmm. It completely took away any military chance, which it never had, but any little slim of chance to ever win the war from a military standpoint. He one of the biggest mistakes. Yeah, no, I, I mean, agree. Like I said, I and I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that. I agree. Like, yeah. but like, like it's like saying like like. Adolf Hitler was a good public speaker. Like, that's true. He, he was, you know, like, he he was a, obviously the most despicable, horrible, you know, every possible expletive and superlative, everything, the worst person of all time, like, hands down. But, like, I, in and of itself, like, to, to, so, like, yeah, I don't, it doesn't bother me as much that people identify Robert E. Lee as a great or one of the or the greatest, whatever. But, like, you, like, it doesn't matter like you have to look at the war for what it was and why are we you know why would we really even rank them anyway when we're trying to understand what the war was about it like you have to acknowledge that it was about the enslavement of human beings and one side wanted to keep that system and the other side did not um, and was fighting for you know you can say all you want that they were fighting for union but the war became about the enslavement of human beings um, well that <laughs> Uh, that going back to that real quick, the most supposedly like people always say John Kelly is like the conscious of the White House. He went on like national TV and said the cause of the compromise. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, that first of all, what was the lack of compromise over slavery? Yeah, I exactly. Mean, like that's what I was telling the kids the other day. We were talking about this issue in class. I'm like, okay, yeah, if you want to say it's about state rights, sure. What's the state right they were arguing over? Slavery. I mean. But, I mean, so it's not even Trump. It's John Kelly, who supposedly is the conscious, you know, the guy who talks good things to Trump, supposedly, continuing to make these mistakes, too. I don't know. It's it's depressing, man. I'll tell you that much. It's depressing how much misinformation that is out there and continues to be out there. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I, uh, I agree. Yeah. And, but I think the Civil War especially um, is, well, one, I mean, we talk about it on the show because this is a Civil War podcast, uh, being an Abraham Lincoln podcast, obviously. <clears throat> but I think the, what is most alarming about the rhetoric, to me, oftentimes goes back to, like, much or maybe even all of American history. Mm-hmm. Like, when you look at Charlottesville and... The, the there were good people on both sides like that was about i mean that had its roots in the civil war and slavery enslavement for sure and enslavement um and this this whole idea like you know nick you talk about the lost cause or you know the southern identity or this like like white nationalism all that this is about the ideals that led to secession that led to the civil war that was about slavery and and when we say and when I say slavery, what I'm not you know I don't just mean uh, 
like slavery, but it's also this white power. It's this, you know, any sort of racial hierarchy, you know, where you recognize that there's one culture and one race that is superior to another. That is what this is all rooted in. Um, and to say that like, well, yeah, but that's, that's like our culture. That's our beliefs. Like, no, it's, it, it, even if that's the case, that doesn't make it okay. Um, and I think that this gross misinterpretation of the civil war and this, like, you know, trying to make this like, you know, like people laughed when he said, you know, Grant, you know, he had a drinking problem. He had a little bit of a drinking problem and people laugh like that's a laugh line. Like, you know, we're talking about the most devastating conflict in the United States history it may, you know, and of course, like we joke about it from here, you know, we make McClellan jokes and all that stuff, but that's, it's just, it's a little bit different when it's a sitting U.S. president deliberately, and I believe, misinterpreting U.S. history to, to rally supporters around him. It's just, it's just a very, very dangerous thing. And I think there is some, as you said, uh, Jeremy, perpetuation of that lost cause in that where Lee is being elevated and here's grant oh he's just a drunk who's brought in which i mean i'm not an expert on grant by any means but i from what i've read i wouldn't call him a drunk he drank but like i i don't know it just it like to just how trump is saying that and people are going to come away from that thinking oh grant was a drunk Mm -hmm. and they're not going to want to know any more about him and they're just like oh yeah he was a drunk and that just i don't know it, it's kind of it is scary as you said that it it's in a way like like rewriting history well um, and he also said and everybody was telling him not to hire him which is yeah. just simply not true like he was exactly. the clear i mean part of the reason he was the heir apparent and like the clear choice was because lincoln had tried almost everyone else like you know, there wasn't a Pope, there wasn't a Hooker, there wasn't a Burnside, there wasn't a McClellan, like Meade, you know, like he would, he had gone through plenty of generals in the East and, and they weren't working out. But, you know, when he went to Grant, there wasn't everybody telling him not to. And he said, I don't care that he's a drunk, I'm going to go. With, like that never happened. And it just didn't. Back then, it would have been completely inappropriate to. Like, people wouldn't have talked about him being a drunk. They may have in, you know, in private or whatever. But, like, you know, I don't think he was known as that. Um, You know, Sherman had mental health issues. You know, he may have had a poor reputation from it. Um, And people may have, like, advised Lincoln, hey, just so you know, like, maybe he drinks or maybe Sherman, you know, had an issue with mental illness, however they would have phrased it back then. But this idea that everybody was saying don't do it and Lincoln, Lincoln, who barely knew his name, said you, I want you, like that is absurd. And like part of – and another part that rubs me the wrong way is he, he has this hubris. He's so arrogant that he feels he can like will things into existence just by saying them. Like if I say that this happened in history, it doesn't matter what happened. I said it. I'm the president of the United States. We're just going to accept that that's real. And I think we can transition now into the 14th Amendment conversation. This is exactly what's happening with that converse, with that line of talk where he's saying, like, everybody's saying I can do this with an executive order. No one is saying you can do it with an executive order that knows anything about the Constitution. But he's trying to, and for those of you who haven't been following, this is a little bit more recent, uh, he has been saying lately that he wants to end what, what he terms birthright citizenship which basically means 
since the 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868, if, if someone is born in the United States, they are an American citizen. The 14th Amendment reads, All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. This isn't like the, you know, a couple clauses of the Constitution are a little bit open for interpretation. There's, you know, the freedom of speech or freedom of the press. How does that impact Twitter? Is it the same thing? Twitter wasn't around then. It's fairly flexible. This particular sentence, which is part of the Constitution, isn't really all that confusing. All persons born or naturalized in the United States. So what you're saying is if it's a person and it's born in the United States, it is a citizen. What he is saying is, because there's the line subject to the jurisdiction thereof, now he's saying, well, they're not subject to the jurisdiction of the United States, which is, again, insane because he wants to arrest them. Like, if someone's not under the jurisdiction of the United States, you can't arrest them. So they're clearly under the jurisdiction of the United States because they have to follow the laws. Um, even if they've broken some immigration laws, they're supposed to be following them. I accept that. Um, I don't think they're, they're, they're prosecuted properly and they, you know, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but this idea that because he says that he's the president of the United States, he can undo that sentence or just completely mis, misread the willfully, I believe, misread this clause in the constitution, um, I think deals directly with, again, the civil war and Abraham Lincoln, because this sentence was written all persons. It was passed along with the 13th and 15th Amendment dealing specifically with slavery. It says all persons because the people who wrote it were concerned that they would not consider former slaves people. So they made it expressly clear anyone who was born here is now a citizen, which is extremely important from a racial standpoint to understand that what this means this is specifically about people of color potentially not being recognized as citizens. And now he's turning it and twisting it, saying that that's not who it, who it applied to. Well, then, on top of that, the Republican Party at that time, in 1860, when Lincoln ran, the platform was pro-immigration. I mean, you literally had the Whig Party splintered off and know-nothings. That's where the jackass Fillmore comes into play here, was... Completely, um, you know, Lincoln did not adapt with them. He chose not to go with them. I mean, the Republican Party platform was pro-immigration for that time period, too. So, I mean, this is all just a systematic approach to attract. It's got to be his base. He's just decided that his numbers can't go anywhere else, so he's going to keep the base there. And they've used all these different approaches. And really, Lee and Grant, yes, that's a minimal issue. If this was a one-time-off thing, it'd be something that we'd probably laugh about in the opening. It's a static approach that we've seen from him and his campaign. Um, it's just plain to the lines that his base will rally behind. Um, and he rewrites history for them. And, and that does. And it's been happening, um, whether it's the Lee Grant situation, uh, whether it's this immigration here, whether it's to talk, you know, using the Republican Party of the 1860, like that's the Republican Party of 2018 now, and like, and, you know, labeling Democrats 
2018 Democrats as the racist party because when you look back, you know, the Democrats control the South during that time period of the Civil War and Jim Crow. I mean, it's just not the same. They're just cherry-picking history, and this is dangerous, and this is what happens. And unfortunately, they got the ultimate platform out to do this with social media and to send it out there in the echo chambers we end up in. And then, you know, I don't know. I don't know. That's was just all rumbling through my head. I, I think it goes into historical memory as well. Um, you know, what is passed down and that's also what Trump plays into, you know, like this thing, Lee Grant, like we're looking at historical memory as well. And I see it a lot in, um, is it, I mean, it's no surprise that I, I read a lot about general Sherman, but I'm reading a book right now about, um, his March and historical memory and just all the stuff that has been passed down generation upon generation that has now become what people believe to be true but when people go and research it and look at it, it's actually something that's been passed down, believed to be true, but it's actually not. Um, you know, somebody says, oh, Sherman's, Sherman burned my great-grandfather's barn, and their barn was, you know, 200 miles away from where his march was, so there was no way that could have happened. So there's just this kind of, it's a memory that gets perpetuated, and I think in a way that this is what we're seeing with the Lee Grant thing too, it's this kind of the the memory and it's being brought back alive again, the lost cause myth by Trump. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I'm, you know, I try to be open-minded and I know I'm, I'm not the best at it sometimes, but like, what is the counter argument to what we're saying in this, in this episode? What is the defense for, you know, cause like we, we, the hosts of this show, know enough about the history of the Civil War to say, like, his assessment of Lincoln and Grant is completely wrong, false. So what is the argument for, for his supporters? And I, and I don't want to alienate or ostracize them, if you know, whether they're listeners of this show or not. But I, I'm trying to understand it, so maybe I can empathize. Like, what is it about that? That's okay, you know. I, I and I, I really struggle trying to wrap my head around it because it's t- maybe he just doesn't know his history, but he's acting as if he does to large amounts of people who listen to him and look at him as a leader. Like I can't think of any reason why this is okay. So I'm, I guess I'm asking if there's somebody who who can provide that counter argument i'd love to hear it but and and i and i try to be open when i hear that but it just i don't think there is one that says like oh well this is what he's trying to do like and and i try to try to believe the best in everybody but man i can't think of a a reason to 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 miss to misstate history in a way and to that degree especially as a sitting head of state and leader of a nation to just spew a bunch of falsehoods. Well, I think I, I'm not going to give the counter argument, but I was just thinking, why does Trump do this? Because Trump views politics like it's a wrestling show. He's going out there at these rallies. It's a live audience. He's going to say what he has to say to get the crowd to cheer at him. He's addicted to that rush. He wants that. That's why he's out there doing it. 
let's be honest, I don't think the majority of Republicans want him out there in a the campaign trail. I mean, um, he does it for the own personal rush, which has got to be the ultimate rush to go in front of a crowd and hear all these applause. And, and this is the problem when, you know, we approach politics of like, let's vote the guy in that we think will be the best guy to have a beer with and stuff. No. The guy in there who's the most qualified, knows the most, and who's experienced or person actually um so i apologize about that but let's get the person in there who has the most experience most qualified which we probably haven't done for who knows how long um in this country and then but i feel like he goes out there he treats it like a wrestler that's what he does i think this is gonna get them to cheer at me it's sad but that's the only way i can wrap my head around it and understand why he does this and that, that's just the bottom line. And then he's so narcissistic, so arrogant that, I mean, look at who one of his idols were or one of his mentors, Ray Cohen, mm-hmm. the guy behind McCarthy, the guy who was left standing when all the McCarthy stuff settled. It's look at the history of that. It's no secret what's going on. I don't think. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying, Nick. I, I, I would push back slightly on the – the like someone you'd have a beer with like i you also have to be a decent human being like the most experienced and the most knowledgeable yeah. um like one of my heroes is president obama like he's a truly good person you know like i believe that he has love in his heart for every human being on the planet especially every human being in the united states like so like i wouldn't say like somebody like i don't want to have a beer with an asshole you know, so like in that regard, I would say like I, I kind of get it, but like you know, it's not necessarily somebody you can relate to. But like you do have to have qualities beyond knowledge and experience, like being a decent person. Like Justin Trudeau is a decent person, you know, um, and I think that's maybe where some people disconnected with Hillary Clinton because they were successful in painting this picture of her as not that. I I don't, but, but I believe that she's a good person, um, but like. I don't think the current president is even pretending to be like, and I think that's where a lot of the hypocrisy of, from a lot of his base is really being exposed. Like, I think that he has completely embraced his persona of, of being abrasive and an asshole. Like, like they say, like, like it's the whole F your feelings thing that a lot of people say to, to liberals, like, Oh, go take your feelings and cry. Go take your participation trophy and cry. You know, like, that matters like emotions matter we're human beings like you know like if i'm if hungry children upset me that doesn't make me less of a person or less than a you know of a man or whatever bullshit you're gonna say um but i don't i think he completely embraces that role and he doesn't pretend to really care about people that don't have health care or to care about people who don't have jobs or to care about people who don't have food especially if they didn't vote for him like he does not care about those people. I don't believe. No. I no, think it me, me and Kara were talking about this, and she brought up you know, life's an infinite game, but Trump views everything in a win-loss situation. Mm-hmm. And when life's an infinite game, you can't measure everything by wins and losses. And when you do, you just lead us down this road of this endless competition. And when when you really play everything wins and losses, it becomes an eye game. And we are all just pawns in the game for him to win whatever fictional game he's made up in his head. I mean, I don't know. You know, he's so bad. I wouldn't even 
Fillmore is better than. <laughs> oh, slow down, Nick. Slow down. Yeah, that is. <laughs> oh, I'm let it be noted right now that Nick just said there was somebody that Fillmore was is worse than Fillmore. It's true. It's it's about time that we officially say it on the show. That is my true feelings towards <laughs> Trump, and all rail splitter listeners know those. Yeah, I just threw it down. I I think the other thing Trump did too with this like Lincoln Grant Lee thing was that he picked the three names from the Civil War that probably most Americans know. Yeah. And you're gonna get cheers. If he had dropped any other names, if he had said McClellan, Pope, you know, even Sheridan or Sherman, you're not going to get that recognition. But if you drop the names Lincoln, Grant, and Lee, you're going to get recognition. You're going to get cheers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he did not mention Chase, who um, was more Ohio than Grant, uh, for yes. sure. Um, it was, you know, as Ohio as McKinley, I would say, um, you know, and a hugely important figure in, if you're, if you really want to talk about like people who are huge for the economy or for business, you know, like one of the best secretaries of the treasury we've ever had, but he also spent tons and tons of money and was very interested in raising capital, which is difficult to do without, you know, creating big government. he was definitely a supporter of, bigger government and a dedicated and steadfast abolitionist for much of his career. Um, And a Supreme court justice that was on the Supreme court when the 14th amendment went into effect and was key in its initial interpretations for meaning everyone. Um, And he didn't mention Sherman who was also from Ohio mm -hmm. or Sheridan. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Well, and sure, you know, there's a big chunk of his base that would probably be pissed off about it mentioning oh, Sherman. Oh, if he mentioned Sherman, yeah, they would <laughs> you know. be like, oh, Sherman's from, don't mention him. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and I do want to point out one other part. The 14th Amendment is more than, you know, uh, the, the first sentence, I think, is the one that most people are familiar with. And that's really when you're memorizing what each amendment did, that's what you kind of need to know. Uh, but in the second section of the 14th Amendment, um, it mentions uh, representatives shall be apportioned among the several states according to their respective numbers, counting the whole number of persons in each state. And it does say excluding Indians not taxed, but that's so when it says counting the whole number of persons for each state, there is no question whatsoever what that is dealing with and talking about. It is eliminating the three-fifths compromise it is saying that no longer it struck the three-fifths statement from the constitution so like this amendment that trump is saying he completely disregards and ignores was specifically and explicitly undoing following up on the 13th amendment undoing the evils of slavery and saying that now they are whole people. So, and part of me, you know, I struggle a little bit with this idea that, like, all oh, the founding fathers intended this or the founding fathers never intended that. Like, maybe it's time to stop looking at 18th century slave owners as perfect people, that they developed a perfect document that is, like, sacrosanct around here 
Like, perhaps they got a few things wrong, specifically counting human beings as 60% of a human being. Um, but the 14th Amendment undid that. So to ignore part of the 14th Amendment, I think you risk ignoring all of the 14th Amendment, which is about granting citizenship to human beings who deserve it and earned it and should have it. Agreed. So um, earlier, um, maybe what, two weeks ago, um, I got into a little bit of a Twitter conversation um, about this actual speech that we played at the beginning of Trump talking about um, Grant and Lincoln and, um, you know, I, and I don't mean to disrespect anybody. I'm, I try to be as open-minded as possible, but the Twitter exchange, um, I think I said something along the lines that I'm trying to look it up here. I said something along the lines of there's not a shred of truth in any of this or, you know, something like that. Um, and, um, the someone, um, said this like another 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 good civil war account that i can unfollow um or something like that okay so i said um not one word of this even approaches a cogent informed thought general meade would certainly take issue basically saying general meade beat lee um so um and then someone tweeted um and political banter once again removes my interest from a great civil war twitter page so i appreciate the compliment i guess mm-hmm. um but please, if you know, if you disagree with what we're saying on tonight's episode, you're welcome here. Your opinion is welcome here. We may disagree. I, you know, I can only speak for myself. I may disagree with it, and I'm passionate about my beliefs, and I'll stand by them firmly. But I would never, I hope, make anyone feel less than because of their beliefs. And I think that that's an important thing that we all need to model, especially for young people. Um, as long as we're all coming to the table, I believe, with a genuine belief that that all people deserve equality, right? And that's where I'm having the most trouble is that when, when the current president or anyone else's politics conflict with my values of what humanity means and what each person deserves. Like, I can understand if you want a smaller government and, you know, more competition in business and whatever, you know even some gun things, whatever. Like, I, you know, I'm not here to, whatever. Like, your opinion is your opinion and mine is mine. But, like, I, I'd rather engage in the dialogue than to shut it down. And I very strongly believe that you can't have a conversation about the Civil War without talking about politics current and former or and contemporary to the, to the time period. Well, I'm going to say we dedicated a podcast to a dude who died a long time ago. And he died prematurely in life. Like, so when... There's like current issues that relate to that. We have to cover it up so we keep the podcast going. We just need to do it to keep our podcast going, people. (laughs) Yeah. So we got to jump on it when we can. Who knows? Go ahead. You can't have a podcast about Abraham Lincoln and, you know, pulling in the Civil War and what he did without discussing politics. You can't. Um, But the one thing that we are like Abraham Lincoln, as Jeremy says, like, your opinion is welcome here. And you know, feel free to share it. And it, I find doing that, like you have great discussions about it, you know? Right. And, and I don't say this facetiously or don't listen to the show. Like, you know, like, I, like this is what it is. This is what our show is. Like, you know, I, we feel, and I feel that this needs to be part of it. And if you don't, if you're not okay, that's okay. Like, it's totally fine. 
Um, we're the only Abraham Lincoln podcast. <laughs> so I, my apologies. There's nowhere else to go, I suppose. Uh, what I told to this particular um, Twitter user, one, was that any conversation about the Civil War that doesn't talk about politics isn't complete. But also, if you disagree with me on 45's assessment of Lincoln, Grant, and Lee, providing a defense of it seems more productive than removing yourself. Like, I said that there wasn't anything in here that approached an informed thought for the reasons that we outlined in the show so far tonight what what about his statement do you think was accurate did you think was well informed i don't think any of it was um i suppose you can make an argument for like yeah none of it was well informed but it doesn't matter because he's just that's just him being him okay you know i think that that's dangerous I think that there's a counter-argument that says, like, it's really not that dangerous. It's not that big a deal. It's just a rally. Perhaps. You know, perhaps. I just think that that where we are, and I hate to say in today's climate because that's like, I think that that kind of excuses some things. Like, oh, in today's climate, people are hurt by this. Like, if they're hurt by it, they're hurt by it. Um, but... Like, I, please help me. Help me to understand, like, what that is. And, and a lot of folks... I know, feel strongly about certain issues, specifically at the Supreme Court level, that they're willing to vote for him or people like him because that matters to them so much. To have conservatives on the Supreme Court, if it's like a religious value or, or something aligned with a religious value. Like, I, I understand that, but I at least want to engage in a dialogue. Like, what you're saying, though, is you're also okay with all of this stuff. I guess if I was grading an essay from Decatur's and they were trying to back their argument up by using false historical evidence, I would go, if this is all you have to hang your hat on in your argument, you don't have an argument. And and that's, and then going back to the other issue you're bringing up, if this was just a one circumstance where this happened, we'd all laugh at it. It'd be an opening of the show. Ah, ha, ha, he's so silly. This is a reoccurring problem that has happened over and over again with Trump or the Trump administration, and that's the danger. Use the history. I mean, I, like I said, this is all you have for your argument. It's it must not be very strong. And if there's something I'm missing, like Jeremy was saying, definitely, you know, let us know and enlighten us, please. Um, jump on the show. I'd love to have a conversation and talk about it more. So maybe maybe we're mistaken with something out there. Um, so definitely love to hear it. Agreed. Yeah, and you know, and I think if there's one thing too, just from a political standpoint, that politicians can learn from Abraham Lincoln. Including, especially the current president. Lincoln had every opportunity, and he would have been right historically to blame the Civil War on any number of his predecessors, especially Buchanan, but any number of them. Like, he never did, you know, like, like that, he realized, like, that would have been stupid and a waste of time, but like, you know, if it was truly about the, you know, assigning blame and, you know, but like currently now it's like anything that's wrong was a previous administration's fault. Anything that's right was 100% the current administration's accomplishment. 
and anyone who disagrees with them is now either the enemy of the people or an angry mob. And that's just, to me, just very dangerous. I mean, and if you look at Lincoln, his his civility with dealing with the opposition was so strong. And his empathy at the end of the Civil War with the malice toward none ideal is so strong. Like, that's important. And I think that it's a dangerous, dangerous slope that we're on if we're calling the opposition party who more people voted for than voted for anyone else, an angry mob. Um, that, to me, is also very dangerous. So um, thank you for dealing with our political banter. Hopefully it was entertaining for you in one way or another and thought-provoking. Please comment to us, whether you agree, disagree, somewhere in the middle. Um, we'd love to engage in some dialogue. Um, an article just popped up on my feed. I haven't had a chance to read it about... The, is the Republican Party the party of Lincoln? That's a conversation very much aligned with this one. Like, what you know, what are our thoughts on that? We'd love to hear what some of you all are thinking with regard to that. So thank you once again for tuning in. This was a little bit of a different episode um, that we like to do from time to time, just kind of drawing lines from, uh, from Lincoln's time to today. I think it's extremely important to continue to do. Um, we do have a weekly feature called Of the People by the People. Um, Mary or Nick, did you want to go first with ones for this week? I know we just recorded an episode, so I would understand if you don't have one read at the ready. Hey, Mary. Okay. Um, I have I'll one. Eat. It's actually a whole Twitter account that I've started following, and I've become friends with her. Her name is uh, it's at Jen Rolling, so J E N R O L I N G Art. And her name on Twitter is the general, and the E is a three. Um, anyway, she is an illustrator, graphics artist, student of Mr. Lincoln, and silly cartoonist. Art, history, and science, a dash of philosophy, and a large helping of humor. And she, her Twitter stuff seems to pop up for me right when I need to see it. Um, she's an awesome artist, and she's in. she very much loves Abraham Lincoln, but her favorite general is the same as mine, General Sherman. And for Inktober, which just ended, she did a whole series on General Sherman. And they're very, some of the pictures are humorous. Some of them are sad. Um, some of them are very thought-provoking. And some of them are just, I don't know, she's, she's very talented in what she does. And as I said, she's also into Abraham Lincoln. So she is worth a follow. Again, it's at Jen Rolling Art. You can find her on Twitter. All right, Nick. Uh, hello. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm still looking. Um, I have one that was from the Facebook group, uh, which is the Rail Splitter. If you just uh, take a search for that in Facebook, you should find it. Ben Holmes uh, was kind enough to find an article and post it because he thought of us, or not us, maybe everyone's favorite Rail Splitter. It's from uh, probably the best um, news source out there. That's um, a literal fake news. <laughs> the Onion, which is my favorite newspaper. Uh, the Onion uh, posted a story uh, that Ben shared with us, which thank you, Ben. Uh, the headline, Child's store-bought Millard Fillmore Halloween costume. Nowhere near as good as Friends' homemade Millard Fillmore Halloween costume. 
So I almost a, picked that one. Yeah, I thought for sure one of you would. So I, was, I had a backup just in case. But um, so awesome article. And I, what I really like about it is, one, it's hilarious. And two, Ben, uh, it's uh, posted because it applies not only to history in general, but to the show specifically. Uh, so um, very, very uh, funny stuff from The Onion about Millard Fillmore and Halloween costumes. So, uh, Nick, did you have one? It's probably okay if we if we don't, since we just recorded an episode earlier. Yeah, I found here okay. that I liked six days ago. Uh, Kevin Levin, uh, basically, I follow him. He has a quote out there. For the record, the question of whether Person X is a historian holds absolutely no interest to me. No more interesting question, and the only one that matters to me is whether Person X does a good job of writing about history. So I feel like that kind of fits in. Um, so I, I think definitely one of our messages, we have no problem with people who talk history, um, but we do have an issue when you talk wrong about history. Yes, and that's actually that's a really thought-provoking quote, Nick, because like, what a like there's got to be like amazing historians out there who don't write very well <laughs> you know like we're lucky like um you know ronald white is a brilliant historian and he writes well chernow writes well you know so like there, i think there is something to be said and i do think that there are folks who are not historians they shouldn't claim to be historians if they're not because being a historian is different but like if you're actually writing i think you're, you are a historian in a way um there's there's always this quote like if you for for runners like there's no qualification to be a runner like if you run you're a runner i think it's a little bit different with like a historian if you're a historian that means like you have a background in a degree and your your profession is doing history um so we're not historians we're enthusiasts we always say but like that is an interesting point like i think folks who write books or write biographies are historians because that is their profession and they are trained um, but like that balance of good history and good writing, how, how folks find that. So, um, I like to ask that when writers come on, um, and to, to go down that road, I think is an interesting one. Um, but the Lincoln community is blessed with having people who are good at both. Um, some better than others and, uh, some great writers whose history, um, isn't as good, but I think, uh, generally speaking, there's, there's just plenty of stuff out there, but yeah, good quote, very, uh, very interesting concept about, Good writer versus good history. Um, I would like to, uh, for this week and Lincoln this week, um, just bring up another post in the Rail Splitter uh, Facebook group from uh, Melissa. Uh, Melissa, thanks for posting this. This was a sighting at the Marine Corps Marathon uh, just last weekend. Uh, someone made a sign that said, Run, Abs, Lincoln, Run, mm -hmm. uh, with Lincoln uh, with kind of a shirt off with a totally cut look. Um which I thought fit into this week in Lincoln quite well and is pretty funny. Um, so thanks for spotting that and thinking of the show and posting that on the Facebook group. Uh, Melissa, I, we really appreciate that. Um, and I was, that definitely brought a smile uh, to my face. Um, cause I, I, I've run from time to time and I think that I would definitely get a chuckle if I saw that sign. That, so. one was, that was another of my picks too. I saw that and I, that was really cool. Awesome. So yeah, if you're not in the Facebook group, join it. There's all kinds of good stuff on there, and uh, we we definitely enjoy having all the folks on it. Any parting thoughts other than vote on Tuesday? Vote on Tuesday. All right. If you're in the United States, vote on Tuesday. Yes. Vote on Tuesday. You Canadian can, yeah. is telling you to vote on Tuesday. Right. 
Um, so vote on Tuesday, and we'll be interested to see how the midterm elections uh, shake out. Uh, oh shit! Early vote today. Or early vote today. I don't like to early vote. I like election day. I just, it's just fun for me. I like to do it on election day. I like I to bring the kids. I, I just I really like election day. I, you know, I like to get the sticker. I like to bring my kids. I like to make a deal, make a big deal out of it. You get an early vote sticker if you vote early. I know, I know. I just we don't get stickers in Canada. Man, that's that's, that's why you're not as good as America. I know. We we'll get stickers. I'm gonna write to Justin Trudeau and tell him we need to have stickers. Too busy looking in the mirror. I know. He is beautiful though. He is oh, beautiful. Wouldn't you look in the mirror all the time if you were Justin Trudeau? Yeah. <laughs> he probably has those abs that was on he that does. side. He yeah. dressed up as he dressed up as Sherlock Holmes for Halloween. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for listening to this kind of quasi-bonus middle-of-the-weekend episode. We will be back next week with another episode of The Rail Splitter. Uh, thank you for, again for your patience with our technical issues. Uh, and for Rail Splitter, Mick and, Rail Splitter Nick and Rail Splitter Mary, I am Rail Splitter Jeremy signing off for this week and reminding you to continue to walk the world with malice toward none and charity for all. And we'll see you next week.